hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And for the past hour, I was tuned in to the DL Link show. And it is amazing to see what they're building to try to eliminate cancer. And I think it's certainly a worthwhile cause for everyone in the community to support. So, of course, go ahead and support the DL Link. Support their cause. Pledge your donation, your contribution to the DL Link. What better way to conclude the year 5778? Now, a note of the DL Link. I want to share with you something interesting because there is a custom that has been going on since 1984, and that is to study Maimonides' works as teachings in Mishnah Torah. And there are two options of how to go about this, either to study three chapters a day and to conclude the cycle in less than a year, or the other option is to study one chapter a day and you conclude the cycle in about three years. So today is the, well, rather tomorrow will be the conclusion of the 37th cycle in the study of Rambam's Mishnah Torah. And so this evening, we invite the entire community, everyone's welcome to come for some food and drink and for a special presentation in honor of this learning cycle. Even if you yourself didn't learn Rambam's Mishnah Torah in its entirety, or even at all, it's still a tremendous celebration and worth coming to the event that we're going to be hosting at my shul, the Kirsch Goodness and Kindness Center, Santon Central, opposite the Chow Train. And to be part of this, Rabbi Levi Weinberg, the Rosh Yeshiva, he was my Rosh Yeshiva when I studied in Pretoria 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And today he is the Rosh Kolel at Mizrahi. He will be addressing us with a very special presentation. And I will also be sharing a few little insights. And I hope this evening to give some insight into Rambam's life and legacy. And on today's show, to talk a little bit about some of the ideas that we won't necessarily have a chance to delve into this evening. The reason I mentioned Maimonides in connection with D.L. Link is because Maimonides, besides for being a great rabbi and teacher and philosopher and all the other wonderful things, he was also a physician, a doctor, who tried to heal people in many, many ways, and you see a lot about that in his writings, and there's, of course, Maimonides' oath that doctors take. So it is certainly related to the DL Link and worthwhile supporting the DL Link cause today. If I go a little bit to the history of what led Maimonides to become the doctor he did, and tonight we have a video presentation and uh, audio-visual interactive discussion, but to look back, Maimonides came from an illustrious rabbinic family. His lineage comes from many prominent Chachamim and Dayanim at the end of, it's actually written in his own book, in the Pirush HaMishnayis, he describes his family lineage. But he was a young, as a young child, and just to go into the history, he was born in Spain, in Cordoba, Spain, in 1135 of the Common Era. When he was about 10 years old, Ramam and his family were forced to flee the advancing Almohads, who were the fanatical Muslim tribe that was sweeping across Spain at the time, forcing all their subjects to convert to Islam. And so he and his family, they fled Spain, 
and they moved to Morocco, where he grew up and he became a great Talmudic scholar. Now, there in Morocco, he already started writing some of his works, but it continues later on in his life. In addition to his Talmudic scholarship, he studied and mastered many different sciences and, and whether it's philosophy or medicine or astronomy. And regarding astronomy, he actually had a long talk or treatise or perhaps a letter in condemnation of astrology. So you can't in any way oppose astrology if you don't really know astronomy. So because he felt qualified that he studied astronomy so deeply and he studied all the available books about the idolatrous beliefs at the time that he knew astrology was an idolatrous belief, obviously, believing in the stars and the astronomical powers as a deity. So Maimonides opposed it, and it's just another indication of how well-versed he was in his studies. However, when he was about 35, that's when his family moves from Morocco to Israel. There, they tried to settle in the Holy Land, but that also didn't prove to be so easy. So they moved from there to Cairo, to Egypt, where he actually got married and settled down with his family. And at that time, Rambam completed his first major work, a commentary on the full six orders of the Mishnah. So you're looking at the year 1165, he was 30 years old, and he is writing this work, a commentary in the Mishnah, as we discussed, Mishnah Torah, which was basically making the Mishnah and the Talmud as it is studied till this very day, although it's a scattered work of analysis of Jewish law. He worked out a more methodolog- methodological, however you say that word, but his was a, he summarized it and he incorporated the relevant material whatever is necessary from the Talmud, from the Mishnah, and he began to work then on that magnum opus, which was his work called Mishnah Torah. Now this is a monumental work, because for the first time, he would codify all Jewish law in a very systematic, clear, and concise fashion. So today we have 14 volumes of Mishnah Torah, and It took him until 1180 to complete it. It was about 10 years of writing from 1168 to 1177 or so. Nine, ten years of writing, codifying the law. And then another three years of copy editing. So all that took some time. And finally, he published this monumental work, the Mishnah Torah. It made a tremendous strong impression across the Jewish world, and especially in the Arabic lands and Spain, where Maimonides had come from. Now, during this time, Rambam had been financially supported by his brother, by his business partner, David. That was his brother. David was his brother. He was the one financially supporting Maimonides, that he was able to continue pursuing his religious matters. But after David's tragic death at sea, that's when... And that's around the year 1177, as it's printed in Igeris Arambam. 
that's when Rambam had to begin working as a physician, as a doctor in the court of the Egyptian Sultan Saladin. Rambam became the leader of the Jewish community in Egypt, and his halachic rulings, remember he had already written his great work. Now this is becoming something sought after, his advice, his rabbinic expertise by many great Jewish communities throughout the world want to hear Rambam's advice, his sagacious wisdom. And so he was greatly respected, not just by the Jewish community, but as I said, as being the physician for the Sultan, for Saladin, as well as many non-Jews in Egypt who came to respect him for his expertise in medicine and philosophy, in the other sciences, Rambam became a respected address, a personality to discuss important matters with. This evening I will show a video about Rambam's life, but ultimately, unfortunately, he passed away in 1204, and he was mourned by the entire Jewish community at the time. However, about 30 years later, that's when Rambam and some of his books became the subject of a really bitter controversy. At the height of that controversy, some Jews slandered these books, most famously Rambam's book, Mora Nevuchim, to the Christian religious authorities, and they claimed the book was heretical because they didn't agree with all of Rambam's teachings in his work. And so, unfortunately, Rambam's works were being publicly burned in cities in Europe. Rambam's son, Rabbi Avram, the son of Avram ben Harambam, he was describing, he wrote a poem mourning the burning of the books of his father. And he says, how foolish are they who believe that with fire they could destroy books that are more precious than gold. These books are themselves a consuming fire. How then can they perish in flames? Know you who burn and your arrogant helpers. All is not as it appears. They went up like Elijah to God and as an angel in the flame. Those are the words of Rabbi Avraham ben Arambam, the son of Maimonides. He describes his pain in the burning of Maimonides' works. The question that I'd like to discuss a little bit now, and more so this evening, is how did one of the greatest Jewish scholars of all time become the subject of such a bitter controversy? What was it about Rambam's writings that really irked some of the great contemporary teachers of his time? And ultimately, I guess the question for us is, how was that dispute resolved and what is the legacy that it left for us today, so many years later, 800 years later, to learn from that? Because this story happened just under 800 years ago. So let me get a little bit into the work that was under debate, that was being disputed. And that is the particular book of Rambam called Mara Nevuchim, The God for the Perplexed. Now, in his introduction to this book, Rambam explains why he wrote it. What was the purpose? For whom did he write it? I want to read to you a little bit of the introduction to Mara Nevuchim. He says, the object of this book is to enlighten a religious person who believes in, <coughs> excuse me, 
and has intellectually grasped the truth of our holy law, who conscientiously fulfills their moral and religious duties, and at the same time has studied philosophy and understood it. So, so far, Rambam says that the book is for a believing and educated Jew, and now he goes on to describe human reason has attracted him to abide in its sphere. And when he considers the the literal interpretation of the Torah and those parts that he cannot succeed in understanding or misunderstood because of ambiguous terms used in the Torah, he is lost in perplexity and anxiety. So Rambam basically says, I'm addressing this book to a believing and educated Jew who's conflicted between faith and logic. This is the person whom Maimonides is addressing this book to. And so he says, if you follow intellect alone and you renounce all previous views that are based on whatever misunderstandings, then you would consider that you rejected the fundamental principles of the Torah because it might be in conflict with whatever you're studying in philosophy that contradicts Torah. If you retain the opinions that were derived from those terms and you abandon the guidance of reason entirely, then your religious convictions would still suffer loss and injury. And as Rambam puts it, you would then be left with those errors that cause you the pain and anxiety and would be a constant state of grief and great perplexity. For this reason, he says, I've called this book, Mare Nevuchim, The Guide for the Perplexed. And here Rambam actually continues a little bit in the introduction and he says that he makes no pretension that this book is going to answer all questions, any doubts that a person has. He says it's impossible to fully address everything. But nevertheless, this book will solve some of the, or some or most of the questions that are bothering the educated reader. So obviously this is for a religious person who has doubts, who has questions of faith. Now, what was the need for such a book? Why? Why write it? The written Torah itself provides very little explicit philosophy. If you look in the Torah, I can't think of much philosophy in Torah itself. Now, on the literal level, it focuses on telling the story of the emergence of mankind, the Jewish people, the many commandments God gave to our people. So the Torah is a book of laws. Of these commandments, there are very few basic ones that address matters of belief, belief in God and monotheism. But most of the mitzvahs are the Torah's commandments of action. It's not about thought. It's not philosophy. Now, if you go now to the Mishnah, to the Talmud, the oral Torah, it focuses primarily on explaining and uncovering the details of the Torah's laws. It applies them to perhaps new realities, but the Talmud and Mishnah don't really express much philosophy in them. If you look through the Talmud, there's plenty of matters of belief that are addressed, but they're not presented in a way of philosophy, in a systematic way. So traditionally, metaphysics and philosophy were not something that was actually taught much publicly. If you look in the Gemara, in the Mishnah, in Chagiga, you get a little bit insight there, because most people, as Rambam put it, actually don't truly fully understand philosophical matters. And because it could lead to misunderstanding or erroneous beliefs, actually, it is not a major topic in Talmud, in any previous sages before Rambam. So the lack 
of any publicly known, clear, systematic philosophy of Judaism actually was no major issue for centuries, for millennia. Because for the most part, Jews lived in countries of people who held pagan beliefs. And the pagans didn't really have any rigorous philosophy of their own. So there was no competition, there was nothing for Jews to distract us from our own teachings. But with the rise of Islam and the swift conquest of the Middle East, North Africa, of Spain, whatever other countries that the Muslims were conquering, and of course their philosophy and the natural sciences that were prevalent and common under Islamic rule, they were obviously educated. All of a sudden this became, you know, there was a revival of philosophy and it became a matter for Jews to contend with. So all of a sudden you have the writings of the classic Greek philosophers of Plato, Aristotle and, and so many others. According to Rabbi Mari of Lunel, who was a prominent opponent of public study of philosophy in the times of the Rashba, even later on. He writes that much of Greek philosophy was in fact originally taken from Jewish teachings from many of our great sages of blessed memory. And he says, so we Jews obviously studied philosophy. (coughs) But the thing is, the Greek philosophers, they didn't preserve the Jewish tradition and philosophy in a full accurate way it was taught by our sages. They developed many ideas that even contradicted the Jewish beliefs. So they extracted what they liked of Jewish philosophy and of course applied their own ideas. So here you have a popularization of philosophy once again. And many Jews are attracted to it. And of course, these thinking Jews now have questions because if there are philosophical ideas that differ and run contrary to Jewish beliefs, then how do you resolve these conflicts? And some of those philosophical ideas, perhaps a belief in God, according to philosophers, the world was uh, eternal. It was uh, it was eternally static. The world always existed. There's no creator. The whole story of Genesis to them would be one big piece of baloney. And so they believed that the universe being eternal rather than created that the miracles and all the other things that we believe in the Torah, according to the Greco, the, the, those philosophical ideas, was completely impossible. And that God is not actively engaged with the universe if they even believe in God. So here you have ideas of philosophy that are running completely contrary to Jewish beliefs. And now you have those who are thinkers of Torah and philosophy all of a sudden Either they're going to dismiss these beliefs or they're going to dismiss their faith. How do they resolve these questions? And this is exactly what Rambam sought to do, was to answer these very questions. And when we're back, we will examine the major controversy that erupted surrounding Maimonides' book, Maren Avuchim, addressing those very questions. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. We're back in discussing the major controversy and I'm in conflict. My controversy right now is, do I say controversy like the Brits do or do we say controversy as I 
was told in America. But considering, considering I try not to get into too much controversy, I will not let this get controversial and I'll use both of them interchangeably. The point is 30 years or so after Rambam passed away, he passed away in 1204 and this erupts in France in the early 1230s. There was a great sage in the city named Rabbi Shlomo ben Avraham, and he was very concerned by some of the beliefs and actions by groups of Jewish philosophers who were taking their own autonomous decisions based on Rambam's teachings to abandon practice of certain Jewish laws. And they were basing their ideas on Rambam's teachings. And so Rabbi Shlomo considered this actually to be a threat to traditional Judaism, to the survival, to the future, to the continuity of Jewish life, to the practice of Jewish laws. And therefore he was very concerned by the teachings, by the actions of these people, and he vigorously debated them. Now in the course of the debate, some of these philosophers claimed support based on the teachings of Rambam. Now, Rab Shlomo, he rejected the claim that they were following Rambam's opinion because he believed as Rambam was a great Torah scholar and had tremendous respect for Rambam, he felt that this was wrong to take Rambam's teachings and to sort of say, I don't want to say corrupt, but basically they were using it in the wrong way. He argued against it, but they were proving their points from Rambam's teachings. And therefore, he came out against certain teachings of the Rambam. Now the thing is, there were other great scholars at the time who were students, disciples of Maimonides' teachings, and they saw this as an affront to critique Rambam's teachings. This was totally, completely wrong. They found this disrespectful to Rambam. And so they accused Rabbi Shlomo of chutzpah, of, of, of disrespecting Rambam. And it turned into a major conflict because Rabbi Shlomo, he denied any of those charges. He said, I have nothing against Rambam himself. He said he had tremendous respect for Rambam. He said he always studied Rambam's works. Except he disagreed with certain points, with certain ideas. And he didn't consider disagreement. You know, we're allowed to agree to disagree. He felt that all great sages, nobody's beyond reproach. We're allowed to argue and debate our teachings. It's not Torah Misenai. Torah Misenai we can't argue with. But at rabbinic interpretations, one rabbi could argue with another. Look at the Mishnah, look at the Talmud. It's fraught with arguments. So he said, if you're looking at Jewish scholarship throughout history, there was always, always characterized by respectful scholarly debate between sages. The thing is that this wasn't exactly being accepted by the Maimonidean scholars. They felt that Rabbi Shlomo was crossing a line with his debate, I guess, with his critique of Rambam's teachings. In their eyes, Rambam was more than an exceptional scholar, and they felt he was maybe the final word 
on halachic matters and to call the Rambam's approach into question to critique Rambam's belief, they felt that was wrong. That was beyond the pale and they considered this an affront to Rambam's respect. So they launched an aggressive campaign against this Rabbi Shlomo of Montpellier. And he, of course, felt persecuted. He felt ridiculed, intimidated by what he considered to be zealots who were upset that he is criticizing the teachings of a rabbi who he respected but didn't agree with all of his teachings. And so Rabbi Shlomo decided to turn to the north for help. And he turned to the rabbis in northern France, members of the famous Tosafist school. He sent a messenger with a letter describing the dispute that was happening in his province, in Provence, in Montpellier. And he requested that they come to his assistance. They should express their support for his position. Amazingly, to Rabbi Shlomo's surprise, the French rabbis didn't just limit themselves to declaring their support for him. They didn't just rebuke his opponents, but they also sent out a a, a proclamation banning the study of Rambam's Maur Nevuchim and the Sefer Hamada, the Book of the Knowledge, which is Book of Knowledge, which is the first book of Rambam's Mishnah Torah, which included some, you know, you could study it still today. And it includes, it's part of the Rambam study cycle that we're going to be studying again afresh starting on Shabbos. And they felt that whatever philosophy included in Sefer Hamada and especially in the God for the Perplexed, they felt was completely to be banned. Now you have a serious conflict going on because now that Rambam's teachings are being banned, all thanks to Rabbi Shlomo of Provence, now you got, ooh, it's going backward and forward. The Maimonidean scholars are completely feeling incensed by this ban and they are upset with this Rabbi Shlomo. Of course, they retaliate. They exact retribution by opposing Rabbi Shlomo and his supporters. And this conflict is raging backward and forward and it's getting a little bit ugly. And I'll describe a little bit of what happens just after the break. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today, so far, we've been talking about the major controversy that erupted based on the works of Rambam's Morin Vuchim, the God for the Perplexed. And unfortunately, some of the accusations that were hurled against it as a book of heresy led to the Christian Inquisition at the time to publicly burn Maura Nevuchim. Unfortunately, after they burned the books, the inquisitors decided to investigate the book themselves and they discover that there's nothing too heretical in there. In fact, it sounded quite interesting to them. Maimonides' philosophical teachings in addition, besides for his laws, I don't think they cared much about that. So to those who slandered the book as heretical, they punished them Inquisition style. They cut off their tongues. Now, of course, this is becoming 
a really ugly scene. Because not long after that, it was seen that books of the Talmud were being publicly burned in the streets of France. And with this, the rabbis realized that this conflict, this controversy, has gotten a little bit out of hand, or way too far out of hand. And it was important for the controversy, for this conflict, to return to the place where it belongs. And where does the conflict, where does Jewish debate belong? Not in the public squares, but rather inside the Beis HaMedrash, inside the places of Torah study, in the yeshiva, in the shul, in the places where it would be studied. And they agreed, even if they disagree on positions, to return the debate to the study halls of the yeshivas. And that's exactly what happened. Now, this evening, I invite you to join me to come to the Siyom HaRambam, the completion of the study cycle of Rambam for the 37th time since 1984, when it was launched as a campaign by the Rebbe. And we will explore a little bit about what the controversy was. What was the great debate? Why were there some rabbis? Why was Rabbi Shlomo of Montpellier so against certain teachings of Rambam that it led to this horrible situation? This we will discuss, please God, this evening. And we will have a very special presentation by Rabbi Levi Weinberg, who was, who is the Rosh at Mizrahi, and the one who I got smicha from, certainly worthwhile listening and hearing Rabbi Weinberg. So please join us this evening at 7.30 p.m. at the Kirsch Goodness and Kindness Center. Men and women are welcome. There's no charge. Come and join us for this special celebration of the conclusion for the 37th time celebrating the study of Rambam. Join us this evening and you will also hear in detail what the controversy was about. The nexus of faith and reason in Judaism. Very interesting discussion. You don't want to miss it. Looking forward to see you this evening. In the meantime, I wish you a meaningful day and a Shabbat Shalom, Carpe Diem. Stay tuned for the next show, Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishler, up next.